Hey everyone, it's Paul. And before you listen to this conversation between Eugene and Chris Outcult, I would highly recommend that you first read through the article in The Atlantic uh, that Chris wrote on the story of Idrissa Kamara. Because although Eugene does a great job summarizing the gist of the article, I think only by reading through the details of the police records and of the quotes and conversations can you really grasp the soul of the story uh, of this positive, effusive spirit um, that that Adrissa has. Uh, Because I think it captures so well just the story of an individual who is affected, as Chris says, by the consequences of an inhumane immigration and deportation policy. And one of my reflections was that I think, like this story, Chris said, it's not just a story of family separation. There are also so many other factors that are at play of uh, bipolar disorder, of uh, immigration policy, uh, of uh, politics. And I think this is the case in basically every other story uh, that we've heard on this podcast so far as well. You know, it's never just about family separation. It's all about, also about stories of refugees, about stories of uh, battling racism and class and uh, integration and and overcoming trauma and how these all intersect uh, through the lens of family separation. So I think um, this conversation might help you reflect on some of these uh, topics as well. So without further ado, here's Eugene and Chris. to be with the writer of a very, very impactful piece. I guess Paul actually read it. My friend Paul, who works with me on this podcast, read it uh, last night just before to help kind of prep some questions. And he said, wow, this is almost like a sad movie in real life. So um, it's called When a Family Separation Becomes Permanent. It was published at the beginning of August in The Atlantic this year. And yeah, we're very, very lucky to have the writer, Chris uh, Outcult. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time, especially on short notice. Yeah, sure. No problem. My pleasure. Um, and I guess just to preface this conversation, I did get my wisdom teeth pulled <laughs> a couple <of> days ago. <laughs> so if my voice sounds a little bit weird or tired, it's probably that. But I I mean, I want you to do all the talking anyway, so uh, I'll try to keep it as minimal as possible. So <laughs> I'm going to try to summarize the article, but I guess... You you probably have a much better understanding of it, but um, and actually I tried to summarize this uh, in preparation for this conversation, but it's so hard to summarize. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I think that uh, the length that you wrote it in is pretty much as concise as it could be. And yeah. so just to kind of get over the main points, uh, the article is about Idrissa Kamara. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right either. You did. He is a 31 year old immigrant from West Africa who was detained by ICE um, in Aurora, Colorado. Is that where you are now? Uh, I'm in Denver. Yeah, just oh, okay. uh, just west of Aurora. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a wife, uh, Ari Ari mm-hmm. Woodson Kamara, and they had worked at the same uh, social services organization in Colorado. And I think in 2019, uh, Ari took her own life with a gun. Is that about mm-hmm. it? Um, and she left a note, uh, and I guess. 
I guess I'll read the note because I think that is one of the most powerful parts. Or would sure. you like to read it? No, please. Please okay. go ahead. She said, this is the note that she left um, in her car after she shot herself. So this is too much. I can't stand him not being with me and the thought of him not being with me to share our future together like we planned. I'm tired of crying about it every night when Adrissa doesn't deserve this. We both don't. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, Adrissa. I love you. Love you all. Please cremate me. This pain is too much. My heart is broken. Don't dare call me selfish. You don't know what these 265 days have been like. Anyone who voted for Trump cannot attend my funeral. You helped ruin my life. And yeah, it's just such a powerful letter. And also just that's the beginning of the story. So you just have so much more to get into. But um, I guess other than that, uh, there are parts where you talk about how Kamara had bipolar disorder, um, some run-ins with the law, and then also you kind of allude to the ambiguous process of uh, reviewing green card applications and how you can be kind of stuck in limbo in immigration uh, if your home country, or I guess quote-unquote home country does not cooperate or cannot cooperate for some reason for your being sent home, then you just kind of get stuck in this limbo. And I'm sure you understand that much better than I do at this point. So I'm going to turn it over to you, but I was just wondering if you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourself as a journalist and because you're not a I mean I think that you're not a staff writer for the Atlantic no, so no. this is just um freelancing so I guess part of that and also like talking about yourself as a journalist and also what got you inspired to talk about family separation yeah sure so uh I've been a journalist for about 12 or 13 years now I I've been a full-time freelancer for about the last three or four I've worked at newspapers and magazines out here in Colorado and I grew up in the Northeast um, in upstate New York and went to school in New Hampshire. But for about the last, yeah, three or four years, I've been a full-time freelancer. So, so this was a freelance piece for The Atlantic. And, you know, I've done a, I've done a few pieces before on immigration topics. Um, I've written a lot about criminal justice system, um, things like that. So the way that I got uh, interested in this piece was, you know, I, I, I don't have necessarily, I, I don't have a personal connection to this topic, you know, family separation. And and this one, although that's certainly an element of this one, it's, this piece has so many different uh, pieces to it. And kind of what struck me, you know, the, the first time I heard this story, I was talking to a source who, who I've worked with on some immigration stuff before. And when he told me this one, it just, it, it just kind of stuck with me. You know, as a journalist, you hear all kinds of stories. That's that's the job, and it's one of the things I really enjoy about it. But there was something about this one that, from the moment I heard it, I I, I just kind of couldn't let it go. So both for what what happened to Adrisa uh, and his wife, and what he's been through. But you know, it's a guy who's been through a lot. Uh, not not just the family separation piece, uh, and he's he's handled it pretty remarkably, I think. So you know, I I, I got interested in this piece just because of what a remarkable story I thought it was. So, I mean, you mentioned talking to a couple of people in immigration and kind of hearing about this story through the grapevine, I guess. Mm -hmm. Is that just kind of a beat that you cover or is it just um, you have friends who work in immigration? Like how, how are you kind of involved in that sphere? Yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a beat. I've been interested in, in my years as a journalist here in Colorado. Um, yeah, I've done a few different feature pieces that, that are kind of rooted in the immigration system. And it's a it's a it's just sort of a topic that I think is particularly important at the moment and has a lot of good stories that that need to be told. So it's it's a place that I return to because um, 
I, I think there's I think there's good work to be done there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wouldn't really call this podcast. I mean, maybe it is journalism. I don't know, but yeah. um, I'm sure that a lot of people, I mean, ourselves included, but a lot of listeners are kind of interested in journalism or storytelling. Yeah. And I thought that you know, as a journalist, um, I was wondering how you kind of technically uh, approached gathering information for this piece. I mean, for this podcast, all we do is interview people, so it's not very complicated. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yours must have been much more multifaceted. So yeah, sure. I mean, the the process of this one was, um, y- you know, was first kind of getting to know Idrissa. So you know, getting an introduction to him, and he and I spoke at length, you know, over the course of three or four different meetings over the span of a few months. And, you know, so the beginnings of the piece was sort of just hearing his story and then sitting down and talking with him and and listening to his story. So in terms of sort of gathering the, you know, the technical elements of putting the piece together, that's kind of where it begins, just just sitting down and listening to the chronology of his life, which is kind of the, you know, sort of the roots of the piece in many ways. The The second biggest element for this piece was sort of kind of like the document uh, gathering aspect of it. So, you know, the opening scene is kind of reconstructed in part from the police report um, of, of the day that that uh, that Ari, that day in question. And, you know, some of that stuff his lawyers had already pulled together. Um, some of that stuff I had to track down. But those were kind of the two biggest... Um, you, you know, and so there, like, there's a moment at the end of the piece where, or, or toward the end of the piece, where there's some back and forth between Ari and Idrissa in some cards, some letters that she had written to him while he was detained. Like, those were things that that um, Idrissa's legal team had already collected as part of some of the filings that they had put together. So, you know, things like that become really helpful in sort of recreating moments in a piece like this. So, so those are the two biggest places that I kind of started as far as the reporting process. After that, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of starting to fill in uh, different voices and pieces uh, around that. So people that knew Idrissa, people that knew Ari, those pieces kind of fit in around uh, the structure of the piece, which is built initially from, you know, several hours talking with Idrissa and then, and then getting some of the documentation to, to help recreate some of those really impactful moments. I hadn't really thought about this uh, while I was trapping the questions, I guess. But um, one thing that I thought of uh, while you were talking about that was, what did, I mean, did Adresa have kind of a uh, reason for giving you all this information in terms of like, did he have something that he wished to get out there? Or was it just kind of, I, I guess we'll get to him later too, but yeah, sure. he seems like a very, very open and optimistic person too. But was there kind of, you know, uh, yeah, something I that think, you formulated your story around. Well, I think I think for him in in sharing his story, I think it was, you know, I think he wanted to. He he told me a couple of times throughout our conversations that you know I just want people to know that, or, and remind people that you know cherish the time that you have with your loved ones. Like it's it 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 might be taken away in a moment that you're not expecting or or but but you know if there's anything that i could pass along to people or that they might take from what i've lived through is that you know please cherish the moments with the the people that that you're lucky to have in your life and so i think for him you know the motivation in talking about his story 
was just to share some of that kind of vibe. I mean, he is a very positive person. It, it's remarkable that he's so upbeat and optimistic, even through all that he's uh, experienced. And I think that that's true in the way that, that he was sort of talking about his life, that, that you know, this is something he experienced. And if it's something that uh, other people read about and can take something from in that sense, I, I think I think that's a little bit of where it comes from as far as him talking. Yeah, I think that that's also really, really relevant today for another, yeah. I mean, for COVID plus yeah, totally. immigration in general. So, um, yeah, and most I guess of the, most oh, of yeah. the, yeah, most of our conversations, we, we, we kind of just finished the reporting process, like kind of as this was all hitting, but, but you're right. So, so we didn't talk about that a ton, but you're right. It is, it is a very relevant message outside of the immigration context in, in the world that we're living in now, you know, just just to cherish the people that are around you and the, the loved ones that you're lucky to have. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. relevant. And I think totally also just different way. that we are all, you know, vulnerable in many of the same ways, I think. So yeah. uh, to extend that question, I guess what I wanted to ask was, uh, so that's kind of Idris's perspective. What about the other people that you talked to? You mentioned filling in the gaps in the story with these different voices. Um, I mm-hmm. think the article kind of talks about, you know, the social workers that they worked with, mm-hmm. um, just people who knew him and his wife. Was there something that they kind of wanted to get across? Just because you answered that other question so well, I thought that. Yeah, well, well th- I, for those people, you know, they were more, I don't know if there was as much things that they wanted to get across, but what I wanted to get across in speaking to them was to, was to, to, get some outside perspectives on the relationship that Idris and Ari had. So um, whether that was from Ari's brother or co-workers of theirs, it, it you know, talking to Idris and getting him to describe his relationship with Ari is one thing, but having a different perspective on someone who um, observed that as sort of a third party, but, but knew them, th- that kind of thing I think is valuable in, in any piece, you're trying to you're trying to gather different perspectives, and so I, I don't know what their motivation might have been necessarily, but for me, it's that's a point of view that is helpful to have in the piece. It just it just helps round out Idrissa and Ari as as characters and as human beings, and because the story's about them, so it, it mm-hmm. helps to have those those differing perspectives. So to zoom out, then I guess uh, mm-hmm. like for me, I guess when I came across this piece. Uh, I mean, I, you know, browse the Atlantic every once in a while throughout the week, and I just Mm -hmm. happened to find something about family separation in the title. Mm -hmm. And that was really surprising to me because I hadn't seen anything like that in many, many, many months. Yeah. Uh, I think in, I think like, was it 2018, 2019, like early in January, February, around one of those years, Mm -hmm. I don't know, time is kind of not a real thing anymore under this quarantine. So, uh, but... Yeah, at that time, I remember there was obviously the Mexico border situation was the first huge like family separation crisis on the media. And then I remember there were other articles like in the New Yorker, there's one about uh, incarcerated mothers. And there's also just a lot of these other stories that kind of gradually popped up and then it died down a little bit. And Mm -hmm. that's around when Paul and I started thinking about this podcast and how can we kind of keep this, you know, on the radar Mm -hmm. uh, and also bring together other stories. But for you, it's kind of like, why, why? Did you, uh, like, what did you kind of hope to get audiences to think about by bringing this up again? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say randomly because it's not really random. It's always been there. Yeah. But was there kind of a hope for your piece in that sense in terms of breaking it back into the media? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I didn't necessarily think of this as a... We were talking about this maybe a little bit before, but I, I didn't necessarily think of this as specifically as a family separation story. So it... Because, mm-hmm. you know, when that when that stuff... When that was really happening in the heat of the moment, um, those separations at the border, I mean, some of that reporting was just brutal. And those stories are so affecting, I think. And, you know, it ha- I think it has something to do with the idea of family, which is just such a universal elemental thing you know like everyone has a family it's something that everyone can relate to and is a part of every human being and so those those stories were really powerful this one for me felt it it does have elements of that but it felt slightly broader just in the immigration sense um Mm -hmm. you know so what i had in mind was and where i think there's some value in this piece is that it's a reminder of what our immigration system looks like when there's no when, when there's no discretion built in, or there's no ability to consider, you know, human beings or or what might be humane. Um, you know, there are laws and there are rules that we need to be mindful of. But for this piece, I I thought it would be helpful for people to be reminded of what an immigration policy looks like. Um, that sort of we arrest anyone, anytime, anywhere, without any questions asked. What that what that can do. And, and this is a story of what can happen, you know? And, and I actually heard from, uh, it was a woman who, I think the organization was in DC. It was a woman who runs an immigrant rights advocacy organization in DC, uh, after the piece ran and she, she had reached out about the story and she said, you know, this is obviously Idris's story is, is so unique, but there are others like it. And, and this happens, a lot and it's happening still today. And, you know, um, so for me, the, 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 the message of the piece or the, you know, what I hope people take away from it is just a reminder of how brutal it can be on, on people to have an immigration system that doesn't have any kind of discretion built into it, that, that just is rounding up as many people as possible this is the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah, I think that what was really, really powerful about this piece to me too, other than just the story, like the story itself is powerful. But for me, actually, a huge thing was that it was based in Colorado, I think, mm-hmm. which was really, really, I mean, I know a couple friends in Colorado, like two, three, but uh, right. it's not a place that I really think about, right? Um, and yeah. you think about family separation as happening only at the border or for this podcast, we kind of talk about like, uh, North Korea, South Korea, like mm-hmm. places that are far away. Uh, mm-hmm. like, so for me, it was just kind of, oh, Colorado is like, it's here, <laughs> like in yeah. the center of America, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of realizing that it's much closer, like these problems are not far away at all was a huge part of it. That is kind of how this podcast began a little bit is when I learned about family separation for Korean families. And then yeah. it was happening around the time of the Mexico border situation. And it just brought me so much closer to empathizing like yeah. I, and not that i couldn't empathize before but just sure it made it so much more immediate so yeah yeah i really like that it was based in colorado i was just wondering uh i mean and as a resident of denver um yeah. how do you kind of see family separation or these problems with immigration playing a role in you know the community itself yeah it's a I mean, it's a huge topic here in colorado i mean colorado has a really vibrant immigrant community and there are a lot of good activists uh here working on these topics you know i'm not the best expert of of you know sort of all of them and what's going on right this second but but it's 
it's a it's a big deal here you know the and and these people these folks are part of our communities and um you know so adrissa had lived here he's he's been here a long time you know like this is his life and it, it was certainly ari's life you know and so it's yeah i i imagine there are stories like this all over the West and all over the country, you know, that it, that we, we, it does seem to, you know, the news of these types of um, things happening does seem to come at least initially from the border, but, but you're right. It is, I, I think it's, I think it's something that's happening everywhere. And, and certainly is the case here in Denver and, and in Colorado. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I guess I'm thinking about this a little bit more and I don't really want to make it sound like a conspiracy theory, but I feel like <laughs> part of it is also just not to rile us up too much in our own small spaces, Yeah. Uh, given, you know, all of the protests that have also happened, among other things in 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you kind of point out things that are happening right at your doorstep, you know, like yeah. police brutality. Oh, it's been here the whole time. Oh, mm-hmm. now I'm mad. So, right. uh, I mean, I guess there's hope for that too i guess in terms of change and in terms of bringing up these stories close at home and importance there i hope so and i think one really really uh, i mean i keep saying there's so many really really interesting parts that the whole thing is really interesting so if you haven't read it you should go read it uh but the part that really struck me other than the fact that it was based in colorado was when you talked to i think it was a professor uh who talks about how family separation affects entire communities in terms of uh losing uh, giving people a lack of trust in public institutions and that just uh for me i mean it made sense like i'm not going to trust immigration but she kind of brought in it to include basic things like public parks churches uh anything kind of so that was a really really interesting implication and kind of further like broader consequence of family separation but uh was there anything else i mean you could also add on that but was there anything else that was kind of a surprise or larger kind of uh implication of these immigration policies yeah that i mean that that research was interesting to me too you know i found that that was something i was not super familiar with before i was working on this piece um you know and for the purposes of the piece it wasn't something i spent a ton of time on you know the piece is Mm -hmm. mostly focused on the arc of adrisa's life but you know when i was reading through some of the summaries of that research it's it kind of makes sense right like it's not surprising it it's it's the kind of thing that i think immigrant rights advocates have been advocates have been screaming about for a long time that that you know these folks are inextricably linked to these communities and when you start messing with that it it has ripples in in all kinds of areas and things that you can't necessarily anticipate i mean i think that that's i think it's just a story and and what happened to he and ari is an example of that like you, you just can't you can't anticipate something like this happening so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know, I, I didn't dive into that research a ton, but it, it felt very relevant to mention to me just because, you know, Ari was such a part of that community, Trisha was such a part of that community, and we start just detaining people without sort of thinking about the humanity of the situations that they're in. This is the kind of, this is the kind of thing that happens. For me, that was really, really interesting because family separation is often, I mean, I think that we think about it too small or too broad if that Mm -hmm. makes sense like it's too small in terms of oh like this child is separated from their mother Mm -hmm. that's awful Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's contained to that family or it's too broad it's like north korea south korea i mean there's nothing you can do about it it's two Mm -hmm. governments like there's this history you know just stay out of it Mm -hmm. Uh, but like this ripple effect situation kind of made me think about how it's just i mean the medium-sized for lack of a fancier Mm -hmm. word i guess Mm -hmm. is um 
much more impactful and like tangible in our regular communities in terms of mm-hmm. just oh like why don't I see you know these immigrant community or people from these immigrant communities at these church services for example mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. oh like it might be somewhat related to these immigration yeah. policies so yeah um, I think yeah I think that that was kind of I mean something that we both should probably <laughs> dig deeper into but yeah, um, yeah. a good starting point for me yeah right um, on yeah me too and moving towards the end of the article the most shocking thing for me and probably a lot of people uh unfortunately was not the horrendous things that had happened that was not as surprising as was the fact that idrissa is very very optimistic (laughs) and i guess you can talk about more about him as a person maybe that it comes from that but Mm -hmm. uh the part when you kind of talk about how he still believes in america Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's this place where you can achieve what you want to achieve uh and i mean these days especially with the pandemic protests everything that has gone on since the beginning of 2020 it's kind of or maybe even before that we've kind of lost hope in that and people and by we i mean a lot of people who are maybe quote-unquote i mean you could say quote-unquote more american or like have been here you know their whole lives um but we lose faith in that (laughs) so how do you think that he uh, where do you think he kind of finds that optimism do you think it's just a personal thing yeah um, i, I kind of do think it's a I, I mean i yeah it's really remarkable it's one of the first things that struck me about him i mean he's just this like relentlessly optimistic dude and i just think that it's you know from talking to him for a little bit i just think it's like it's just part of who he is like it's code in his dna or something like he um i i also think it probably so so i think that's part of it i also think it comes from what he's experienced in life and what he's overcome. I mean, he's been through a lot, like dealing with an undiagnosed mental illness early in life, like moving to this country when he was young and not knowing how to speak the language, losing his father, you know, when he was, when he was pretty young, you know, like getting arrested, being detained, figuring, like going through the process of trying to figure out how to, how to live with his mental illness. Um, what, what the medication, you know, would do and would not do. And, so he he's just been through a lot, and I, I imagine he some of the strength comes from from that too. You know, just you kind of don't have a choice, or it seems like he doesn't anyway. You just kind of got to keep going. So it, it'd be an interesting question to. It, it's one that I'd like to. I, I feel like he and I talked about this, but it's one I'd like to ask him again. You know, but but my impression of his relentless positivity and his sort of belief that you know, this country can still be a good place for him and, and people who have been things through things like he has is, is pretty cool. And like, gives me some hope. Um, Mm -hmm. and makes me feel a little more optimistic, but I, I think it's really just kind of, I think it's just a part of who he is. Um, but it is pretty remarkable. You know, a lot of people I think would, would feel much more frustrated or angry than he does. And, and probably, you know, and rightfully so maybe, um, Mm -hmm. But he just doesn't. And I, I think that's cool. And it was one of the reasons why I was glad to be able to listen to and share his story. Um, were there a lot of, uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but were there sure. a lot of perspectives that were the opposite, that kind of had zero faith or were really, really negative? Since this story is mostly about, mostly about him and most of the people I was talking to were adding some perspective mm-hmm. on who he is and, and uh, his life, you know, a lot of those a lot of those people just reaffirmed what you get from spending a little bit of time in his presence talking to him, which is just that he's a great dude. And um, oh, actually, yeah, that's really interesting. It's kind of, I guess, I mean, I would assume that his positivity kind of 
you know, radiated yeah, outward. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, yeah. Um, could you get a could you get a sense of that talking to the people who knew him or Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they you know, the, the the woman who uh ran the social services organization that he worked at um just couldn't say enough nice things about him. Held his you know, while he was detained through all this, held his job for him and you know, so he's he's back working there and you know, the the family that took him in when he was first excuse me, when he was first released um on from the uh, mental health hospital here in Colorado when he was first sort of getting the opportunity to live outside of that facility, you know, that family just, just speaks so highly of him. You know, he's become like a member of their family and it's not surprising to me to hear people say that you, you get that from him. Just, just talking to him for a little while. Mm -hmm. As you were kind of mentioning, uh, Idrissa's kind of spirit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you watched the DNC last night. I mean, the DNC is super long and, you know, it just happened to be, uh, on when I was, you know, just having nothing to do. But yeah. um, I don't know if you watched, did you watch Obama's speech? I did see Obama's speech last night. Yeah. yeah. So there was uh, that part. I mean, a lot of it was standard Obama. So, you know, yeah. there's not much to comment on there. But there was that one part that really felt, I mean, it's not different, but uh, a highlight for me was when he was talking about how the, you know, the people who are like in the civil rights movement, those are the people who should have given up. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Among all people, like, those are the people who should have given up and you're yeah. at home and you're, you have to wear a mask and you feel like, Oh, I'm, you know, there's nothing that America can do for me. Um, yeah. like it's not really your place to say um, yeah. that or to give up hope. So I feel like I, that's kind of the parallel that I drew between, yeah, I know totally. that, yeah, the civil rights movement and immigration are not exactly the same thing, but also kind of born out of the same, uh, yeah, I hadn't, whatnot, I hadn't so. thought of that, but 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 I do think there are parallels there. Like, it, you know, if anybody had a good reason to sort of give up and to be fed up with trying to find a place in this country and trying to navigate the immigration system and j just trying to work and live a life that you know, with a woman that he that he loved, it, yeah, Adrissa would have every right to be, I think, to be angry and to be upset and disappointed and. Um, with the way the the immigration laws work uh, and the way he was treated, but he's not, you know, he's not, and so that's that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. And I feel like we could chalk it up to DNA, but also that doesn't really make it any less, you know, like valid or powerful. I totally. think still remarkable. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess those are all the questions that I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to add in terms of the piece? I think so. The one uh, thing I was, yeah, oh, the, yeah. One, the, the one other thing I was going to mention was that um, shortly after the piece came out or around the time, it, it, there was a um, there was a decision out of the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals that looks like it might uh, provide him some help. So it, it it's kind of a technical legal thing, but it, it has to do with reclassifying the way that drug crimes in Colorado are viewed through the federal immigration um, system. And it seems like there may be an opportunity here for him to to get a second crack at getting a green card. So, you know, it looks like, you know, maybe there's at least some hope there that um, he might be able to find some kind of resolution that would be good for him and that would let him just live here and continue his life and not to have to worry about that stuff. So, you know, depending on when we get further down the line and when I see what exactly is happening with that, it might be something um, that I read about again, but it looks like there is at least a little bit of hope um, there that, that he might be able to find some relief. 
that's actually like really, really incredible news, especially because sometimes on this podcast, we feel like, what can we actually do yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah. of other than just telling these stories? And, uh, and I'm sure, I mean, I don't know what the timeline for the legal process was there, but I'm sure that your piece somehow helped or at least bring up the situation. Well, I think there, yeah, I mean, I think there, I think there's, you know, you're talking about what else can we do other than sharing stories? Like, I think that's pretty valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, as a journalist, I feel like it's pretty valuable anyway. Yeah, just giving people a sense of what life is like out there for other folks, I think is I think is valuable. So yeah, I think that actually I think we're just going to end this episode there. <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's the best way to end it. Yeah. Uh, totally. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. And sure. I guess through the process of talking with you, I feel like a much more normal person with my teeth situation. So, right on. Glad uh, to that's help been with that great. process. Yeah. 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 for tuning in to another episode of the divided families podcast if you're interested in listening to more stories of family separation or learning more about our project please follow us on social media at divided families podcast thanks as always to flannel albert for the wonderful music and see you next time